Well, this morning we have uh, the distinct pleasure of having Pastor Don McClure here from Calvary Way. And um, just uh, so I, I know that uh, let others um, really speak about you uh, is what the Bible tells us in a way that is, uh, is honoring to him. And I know it reflects the glory of God, and that is why I'm going to mention this. I know for him, he would say he's simply a servant of the Lord. But uh, Pastor Don McClure... Um, you know, he's sat under the tutelage of men like Alan Redpath and served um, our beloved Pastor Chuck Smith, who is now in glory. And uh, he has, uh, Pastor Don has been used to plant uh, various churches um, throughout, um, really, California, but throughout the nation and throughout this uh, this world of ours, as he has planted Calvary Chapel Lake Arrowhead. Um, he founded uh, Twin Peaks, which is uh, Calvary Chapel Bible College, uh, Calvary Chapel Redlands, and so on and so forth. And so I just uh, am pleased to have you here, Pastor Don, uh, and uh, look forward to how the Lord is going to use you this morning. Thank you. By his word. Thank, Thank you. you. <laughs> It was a very nice way of saying he's been thrown out of a lot of places. <laughs> been around a while. Yeah, another thing. He's been around and he's still alive. You know, we just, some of you were at the conference yesterday, the Southern California. How many, were some of you men there? Had a great time. But it was so funny because I'm, uh, all of a sudden, I guess not all of a sudden, it happens a day at a time, but I'm the old guy. You know, around Calvary, and I and it's kind of a of a weird, funny or interesting thing. But like yesterday at the conference, everybody's wanting to make sure I'm okay. I said, "Fine." What do you mean? But then when it was time I was supposed to get to speak, I got up and I'm I'm walking down. Well, there was about four different exits from where they had us in this kind of a room in the back, and so I'm going down, and I, I get there in the process of announce, announcing me. I'm walking down the hall, and all of a sudden, a guy comes, open the door, running out, where are you going? I said, well, I'm, I'm going to the platform. They said, no, you're going to the parking lot. The platform's this way. So they come, take me by the hand, you know, kind of, you know, and then there's steps. Can you want to help on the steps? I said, are there steps? Where are the steps? You're on them. So I figured, okay, I'm getting old. But uh, it's wonderful to be here. I'm glad it worked out. I, uh, I went, Raul checked it with me of coming and asked for a date, I, I, October, something like that, I, and I'm kind of booked through the year. But I was supposed today on my book be flying with Raul Reese, not your Raul, but another Raul, and uh, we we're going to Peru uh, for a pastor's conference. And then all of a sudden I get the plane tickets and it's tomorrow. So all of a sudden I had a Sunday open. I said, you want that? And he said, we'll take it. So here I am. Worked out wonderful. It's great to be with you. Turn with me today, if you would, to Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3. And I'm going to begin reading at verse 7. Wherefore, as the Holy Spirit saith today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts as in the provocation of the day of the temptation in the wilderness. When your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my works forty years. Wherefore, I was grieved with that generation. I said they do always err in their heart. They have not known my ways. So I swore in my wrath they will not enter into my rest. Well, take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily, while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we are all made partakers of Christ if we hold fast to the beginning of our confidence, steadfast unto the end. While it is said today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts as in the provocation. For some, when they had heard, they did provoke. Howbeit not all came out of Egypt by Moses. But with whom was he grieved? Forty years was it not with them that had sinned, whose carcasses fell in the wilderness? And to whom he sware that they should not enter into his rest, but to them that believed not. So we see that they could not enter because of unbelief. Lord, we thank you for your word. It's, Lord, it's our lamp, it's our light, it's our guiding. It's your voice to the world today that your Holy Spirit gave in the first place and gives us today again. We ask, therefore, Lord, that you would open our hearts, minister to us. It's already been prayed 
by others, even from this platform, Lord, open our eyes, open our hearts, open our ears, and that we may hear what the Holy Spirit says today to us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. We hear the wonderful thing that we presume most uh, historians or biblical expositors believe that the Apostle Paul was the author of this book. It's not clear. There's some argument about it, but for our sake, it's, I just assume it with the majority. It's Paul. But here, the wonderful thing that's being discussed here is the issue of being a partaker with Christ. I mean, it's a wonderful thing there to have to actually alive or to be a partaker. It says, for we are made, in verse 14, uh, partakers of Christ. I mean, here the Lord looks at it to be, actually be a partaker of Christ. And when we look at that, that word in the Greek, it means much like we might assume it to be in the, in the English, but it means a participant, a sharer, a fellow. In other words, when we're a partaker, we're like fellows. We're sharing mutually back and forth a life that he offers to us, that he gives to us. And, uh, and here, I, the moment that I believe and then I open my heart there, I become a, a, as a believer in the Messiah, the Savior of the world, the one there now that he says, you are now a partaker with me and all of the benefits that come with him. We're entitled to now, and of all the fulfillment that comes with that, all of the exceeding great and precious promises, all the glories of heaven, all the identities of heaven, all, all that God has, it's already given to us. We haven't enjoyed it yet. We maybe haven't experienced it. But like Paul says in Romans, he says, those whom he foreknew, them also he predestinated, whom he predestinated. He called, whom he called, he justified, whom he justified, he glorified. They're all past tense. They're all in God's eyes accomplished. God looks at every one of us and he says, you're a partaker. The moment you receive Christ, you are a sharer. All that he has, it isn't something that is going to someday be ours, although it is that. And then when we finally do enter into glory, there's so much now we will actually experience, but having it set aside, having it already promised, having it already past tense, the Lord says you are in my eyes. The Lord, he ever lives to make intercession for us. He presents us faultless. Right now, where you're sitting today with all of our failings, all of our frustrations, all of our immaturities, Maybe it's, you know, we're coming to church, we're frustrated. Maybe we had discussion with our wife that we prefer not to have publicized. Uh, maybe we had, you know, words with our children. We had things that said, well, I haven't arrived boy, at all. But yet the Lord looks and he, Jesus says, you're perfect. The Father looks and he says, what, there's nothing wrong with you. You're flawless today. And we, we say, excuse me, I am, yes. All I know about you is what my son presents. He ever lives to make intercession. He presents you faultless. I don't see anything wrong with you. That's how God's eyes, that's how he looks at us. While we have all the evidence against ourselves and each other, that's not true yet. But here, this is the road we're on, and, and, and here to be that full partaker with, one, with him one day. But it's, it's something that it starts. It starts there just simply, as the writer here tells us, by being a partaker. And being a partaker is something that that really starts by being a hearer. You know, Hebrews 3, 7, wherefore the Holy Spirit says today, if you'll hear his voice. In verse 15, he says, well, it is said today, if you'll hear his voice, harden not your hearts. For some, when they had heard, they did provoke. The basic thing of the Christian life is, it's one of the things, it, 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 it's amazing on how daily the Christian life is. Is it daily? You wake up and there it is. It's not just eternal. It's not just something way out there. It, it's today that the Lord looks at us today. What he has to, oh, how do I get this? I thought I had everything turned off. I, oh, well, <laughs> it's all. <laughs> Maybe I'm not going to Peru, but anyway. <laughs> I can stay for days. It's not exciting. But anyway, <laughs> I got to turn, oh, well, maybe. But... <laughs> But the, uh, where am I? <laughs> I'm sorry, I always make sure I have everything off and then I forget to do one thing. My watch just tied into my, sorry. You stay home. But anyway, <laughs> but when we just realize today what the Lord wants and has for us today, hearing his voice, it's just that simple. 
And at the same time, though, you may say, well, that's, that's my problem. I, I, I don't know if I hear God's voice. I don't know if I really hear it. I mean, you know, you listen to people and say, God spoke to me today. I heard the, you know, the Lord, I, I heard him today speak, you know, or this and that. And you may think, really? I don't think I hear him. I don't know that I hear him. Well, first of all, let me make it very clear. Everybody hears him. Everybody here. There's absolutely none of us that have any trouble hearing God. We hear him all the time. Jesus said about the Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit comes, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Here, I mean, everything that's in this world, what is right and what is wrong and what and the consequences of it, the judgment of it that falls, that's always the Holy Spirit. You may think that your mother or your dad or school teacher or the police or somebody else taught you right and wrong. No, they may have been reinforcing it and reiterating it, but the fundamental voice, when you have something, you know this is right, you know this is wrong, that's the Holy Spirit speaking to you. I didn't read him long before I was a Christian. I, I knew it was right. I knew it was wrong. I knew what was, you know, you know what, what I'd be doing, what would be going on. But at the same time, I mean, that, and that's the Holy Spirit. It's just that, that simple. And he's the one there that tells us what is right, what is wrong. Jesus said about the Holy Spirit, even the spirit of truth when he comes. There, uh, he says, whom the world can't receive, but you have seen him and you know him. And he says, uh, for he dwelleth in you and with you. And, you know, so the Holy Spirit, he's, he's here and just as the, the only issue is, is wanting to hear his voice. Now, the thing that we can do, Paul writes in Timothy, in 1 Timothy 4, 2, and he talks about those who have seared their conscience as with a hot iron. You can actually sear your conscience. You can simply, you know, sear it. I remember growing up as a kid. I grew up in San Gabriel, not all that far, you know, from all Southern California here. But one of the things that every summer, you know, you start, you take your shoes off and you start going around you know, barefooted. It was just, you know, we just wanted to be barefoot. But the first, when you first, your, your feet get so tender during the winter years or something, and then you start walking around and it's like you step on a little pebble. Ooh, ow, you know, you're so sensitive to it all. You feel every, 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 every little pebble. But then you just keep walking and searing the bottom of your feet. You want a callus on the bottom of your feet. You want to build up a big callus. So you're enabled just to walk around and not even feel any of those things any longer. You de deliberately desensitize your feet so you can walk where you want and walk without any warning. There could be trouble. <laughs> well, that's the exact same thing that you can do with your heart. Here you can sear your conscience as with a hot iron. You can actually build up a callus against God and against the things that he wants. And that's a dangerous thing. But here it is something, though, that when we realize that the whole issue of the Christian life is just simply hearing his voice. And we say, I do want to hear you. I do want to be sensitive to you. And to realize that all of the Christian life, is, it happens by listening and hearing and responding to the Holy Spirit. The Bible says no man can say that Jesus is Lord, but by the Holy Spirit. I can't be, I, I mean, I, anybody can say the words, Jesus is Lord. That's not that, but, but experiencing the Lordship of Christ. When I said, Lord, I want you, Jesus, to be the Lord of my life. Well, that's the work of the Holy Spirit. That's what he said, well, then I must be walking in the Spirit, filled with the Spirit, anointed in the Spirit. The Bible says, be not drunk on wine, where is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Speaking yourself, psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing and making a melody in your heart. It's the Holy Spirit listening to him. Luke 4.1 tells us about Jesus and Jesus being full of the Holy Spirit. He says he returned from Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness where he's tempted for the by the devil for 40 days. And Jesus was born of the Holy Spirit. Luke 1 tells us Jesus offered himself without spot to God through the Holy Spirit. Hebrews 9 tells us that. Jesus was filled with the Spirit. He was led by the Spirit. His whole life was all listening to the, to the Holy Spirit, letting him lead and guide him in every step that he went. And the Bible tells us that we're to do the same thing. Galatians 5, 16 says, In this I say, then walk in the Spirit, and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. You know, there's only two natures. In all the world, for you, there's only two options. <laughs> you know, today we live, you know, and, and we tell children, hey, there's, there's you know, 10 different gender identities. No, there's not. There's only two. P 
period. I don't care what you say, you know, you, you, somebody does everything they possibly can to become the opposite sex, goes through all the surgeries, all the medication, everything else in the whole world to make that transformation. But I'll tell you, when they die, you bury them in a hole, a thousand years from now you dig them up and they'll say that that was a male, period. You can't change it. If it was a male, it was a male. If it was a female, it was a female. If it's a boy, a boy, a girl, a girl, whatever it is, it's set, it's DNA. You can do everything you want to to try to change it, none of it works. And here it's the same thing in, in, in the spiritual world in a sense. There's only two natures, there is the flesh and there is the spirit, that's all. There's not a third, there's not a fourth, there's not another one. Either I am living in the flesh or I'm living in the spirit. Either I'm walking in the flesh or I'm walking in the spirit. Either I'm you know, being sensitized and letting one master me, that is my flesh. You know, I want, I'll have, you know, I think, I feel, I'm going to do, I, me, my, myself. We all have it. We were born with it. The day we came into the world, we were all about ourselves. There was something there, you do the most selfish things on the planet or a newborn child. Nothing more selfish than that. You know, nothing more self-centered. Could care less about anything else, anybody else on the entire planet than themselves. They don't even know anybody else exists, but for them, that's it. You know, and, he is, and here they come. Fortunately, they're cute, so we bring them home. But the thing is, is that here, but then on, I mean, you've got this I, me, myself, no. You know, and all of this, I'm going, I want, I'm happy. Oh, and it's the flesh. We were all born. It's the fallen nature, the Bible says, the Adamic nature, Adam's fallen nature when he left the presence of God. And the only alternative, I, me, my, myself, is the, for the rest of your life, either you do that, which many and most do. And here they can be nice to self or try to be nice to others or do whatever else, but primarily that's what we are. But here the, Paul says, but he said that walk in the spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. In other words, he, Paul says the alternative to this is you walk in God's spirit. I mean, on one hand, we look there and we fight and we get mad and we lose our tempers and we can be nasty and we can be covetous and all that. And we say, man, why am I this? Well, I hate this. I hate being impatient. I hate being nasty. I hate being argumentative. I hate having to have my way uh, all the time. It just leads to discomfort and fights and arguments. You know, but Paul says, well, if you hate it, there's only one option because you can't train that. You can't, you, you, we try to. We get upset, we get mad, and they tell us, well, just bite your tongue. Here you can't yell if you're biting your tongue. Take a walk, count to 10. We got all these psychological things when we, when the flesh comes out and we know it's wrong, you know, just you take a walk, get out of there, do something else. Just, you know, I don't need any of this. You gotta get out, get out. I, gotta, I need a breather from you. It's really ourselves. But when, but when we realize, I hate that hate that. Well, Paul says, well, the alternative is you simply walk in the spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Paul goes on Galatians 5, 25. If we live in the spirit, let us also walk in the spirit. Now, one of the things about you, if you're a Christian, you live in the spirit, you live in the spirit, but you may not be walking in the spirit. Paul says, if you live in it now, like I said, because the moment you receive Christ, at that point, you are alive in the Spirit. God's Holy Spirit comes and he takes up a residence within you. You're born again of the Spirit. Like Peter, you know, uh, tells us there, the, the Spirit of God comes in, takes over, uh, it, at least indwelling us. He's there. He's part of us. We live in the Spirit. Sometimes that's our biggest problem because, you know, I, I, as far as God's concerned, I am spiritual. Now, am I walking in it? Well, that's where growth comes. But here, I remember growing up, you know, I could be rebellious, I can get in trouble school or whatever else is going on. And in our family, there was four kids, three of us, three oldest were, were you know, boys. Fourth was a girl, we were all a year apart. But there could be something going on and I'd get in trouble or whatever, my dad would sit down and he would look and he'd say, hey buddy, you're a McClure. You're a McClure and McClures don't live that way. You don't do that. In other words, you are one, act like one. This is who we are. This is how we live. These are our values. You don't do that. And that's the same thing. God so often, he looks at us, he says, you're spiritual. You have the spirit of God within you. But at the same time, he says, you've got to let him, you've got to walk in him. 
Romans 8.13 says, For if you live after the flesh, you shall die. But if you live through the Spirit, you do mortify the deeds of the body and you shall live. He says there, you want to you mortify those deeds of the body. You want to put them to death. The I, me, the arrogance, the pride, the impatience, the addiction, whatever the, the, the problems of our own flesh are that come out, that we know, what are the, these? I, I can't stop these. No, you can't. And you never will. You can try to train them. You can try to coax them. You can try to wear it and let it out or whatever else. Well, you realize the only end of it is the I, I, I choose the other nature to walk in the Spirit, and then by the Spirit, God gives me now the power to mortify the deeds of the body. But here there's these two worlds. There's these two lives for us. John 10, 10, Jesus said, For the thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. Jesus said there's two worlds. In one of them there's a thief. There is somebody there that wants to kill you wants to steal everything from you, wants to destroy your life, wants to destroy your home, your marriage, your family, everything that God created you to be, everything that he wanted for you, everything he designed, wants to destroy it, he wants to kill it. He wants to steal everything of it. And one day he looked at him and said, whatever happened in my life? It's stolen away from me. You know, somehow or another, it's, it's, you know, what, what in the world went wrong? But Jesus, I'm come that you might have a life. And you might have it more abundantly. It's a spirit-filled life. It's a spirit-led life. You know, the, the issue, you want an abundant marriage, you want an abundant family, you want an abundant, you know, work, you want an abundant anything. You can want it with all your heart, but it doesn't happen until Jesus is the one that delivers it. Jesus, you need to give me that home. You, please, I want you to give me that family, you to give me that marriage, you to give me those relationships. Because if we don't choose to do that, there is an alternative. And here, as we read in Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 8, he says, Now harden not your heart, as in the provocation and the day of the temptation in the wilderness, when your fathers tempted me and they proved me and they saw my works for 40 years. Here, you know, now when the time of testing, now somebody, they began to follow God. They got, they're getting out, you know, crying out to God, get us out of Egypt. And then here is it caught, brings Moses these in, because here's their prayer with these incredible displays of power and, and ruling nature, turning water to blood, dust to life, bringing plagues upon animals. You know, here he's bringing frogs upon the land. One thing, I mean, miraculous, awesome things, leads them out through the Red Sea. You know, opens up the Red Sea as he stretches out his rod. They walk through on dry land. God puts a hook in Pharaoh's jaw, brings him and the most powerful army in the world down after him deliberately. The children said, oh, no, Pharaoh's going to kill Moses. Why have you let us out here to die? He said, just get going, get through. They walk through on dry land. And then God puts a hook in Pharaoh's jaw, brings him and his entire army down into the Red Sea. He closes the Red Sea on him. The next morning, they wake up and they look around, and they see here the entire army floating, dead. And they sing, actually. I will sing it to the Lord. He has triumphed gloriously. The horse and rider fell into the sea. They're just, God, you're so wonderful. <laughs> all these power, all these things. But every trial that they had, every testing, every time that Pharaoh said, no, I'm not letting you go. Oh, no, no. As he was, Pharaoh would just do something like, okay, now you're going to do uh, twice the work with half of the material to do it with. Oh, no, Moses, look what you did. As the trial and the test and the process of going out, the trials of life that happened to everybody. But when they, a trial came, it just, they hardened their hearts in a provocation. The day of the temptation in the wilderness, when God said, your fathers, they tempted me. And they proved me and they saw my works for 40 years. For 40 years, these, uh, the children of Israel, here they are out of the wilderness, and they watched God has led them through one trial after another, after another, after another. They watched all the plagues, you know, the, of, of Egypt. They, they saw the Red Sea open. They saw it closed on their enemy. They saw as they cried out for water when they were thirsty, where Moses smote the rock, and it came out like a torrent, enough for all of them to satisfy their needs. They're hungry, and they, they find manna every day. Manna there to feed their families, there to take care of them, manna to sustain them. 
They found that they had a, 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 a pillar of fire there to lead them and a, and a cloud by night to protect them. Here as God was all around them day by day. And here when the armies came to fight with them, Moses went out and he destroyed them. When there was people, those that rose up within them to argue and fight and try to take over with Moses' place, there God opened up the earth and sucked them in. But they saw God's power over and over and over. They saw God's power like no generation in all of history has seen it. Nobody has ever seen anything before or since. For 40 years, Moses ruled the, God, the, the laws of nature, and they saw it with their own eyes. But yet at the same time, they murmured. The same time, all they did was provoke God, it says. Every time, did they receive it? Did they rejoice? Did they say, God, we love you. What do you want us to do? Where do you want us to go? Look at you. You're so glorious. You're so powerful. We're in. Lead us. No. Nothing changed. They could have, they just went, they would rejoice for a moment. Oh, thank you. But all it took was the slightest thing and they'd be back murmuring once again. And you know, we think, how could people be that way? Unbelievable. And yet at the same time, are we much different? Are we much different? Is that maybe not typical of us today? How many of us, we would look at our lives and we were in slavery into our own sin and our own emptiness like the children of Israel were in Egypt? We were hopeless. Our own sin kept us from God, kept us from hope and joy and peace, kept us from any sense of stability and identity. And here, you know, how many of us, God saved us with a story as glorious as the Red Sea. When he brought us through and he saved us, and we realized, I am redeemed. Jesus Christ is real. He died on the cross. He rose from the dead. He ascended to heaven. And now he lives within me. And we rejoiced. We were so excited. Thank you, Lord, you saved us. And we know that, you know, the manna that God provides. You're going to go home today or tonight or with your family, and you're going to get around a table, and you're going to have a meal, and you're going to thank the Lord. You're going to bow your head and say, Lord, thank you for the manna. Thank you, Lord, for taking care of us. But how many of us there with all of that that we know God is, and we thank you for this, we thank you for this, we have seen this, we know this, he's delivered us as much as he did for the children of Israel, and yet all we need is the slightest trial. And we're empty, and we're angry, and we're frustrated, we're resentful, we're murmuring just like they are. God, why have you left us out here? God, look at this problem. Somebody, you know, comes along in the house that we hoped we would get, we don't get it. Our landlord raises the rent. Oh, God, look at this. How, how can I afford to pay this? Lord, my, I, I can't, the food, the price of food has just gone through the roof. I can't feed the family. I don't know how I'm going to feed the family. It's over. I'm going to have to sacrifice one of the children to sustain the rest of us or something there. We just, you know, we, we, we're panicked. Our back's against the wall. We're not going to survive. You know, with me, I spent my life, oh, Lord, how are we going to get through this month? It's like it's, it's impossible. Like, we've got to make it. And I mean, I'm, I'm, what am I, 76 years old. I've been, you know, I don't know how many times through the years. I don't, Lord, this is tough. Lord, where are you? Lord, answer this. Lord, I, you know, I'm, you know, food we get, you know. And yet here, the amazing thing is, amazing thing is, is that here, Lord, are we going to die of starvation? And yet, I'll tell you, for 40 years, I have been on a diet. I mean, I had to figure that. You know, I'm here on one hand. We're worried how we're going to get through the month, how we're going to feed, how we're going to eat all the time. And yet how wonderfully he takes care of us, his daily presence. But here, for the children of Israel, the Lord wasn't enough. Oh, he was good enough to get them out of Egypt, but he wasn't good enough to, give it to, to, to be a full, abundant life for them. He was just somebody, get me out of trouble, get me out of trouble. And he gets us out, oh, that's wonderful. But immediately, I go back and be me and find new trouble. And we murmur. We murmur about this, and we murmur about that. Pick a topic, what it is. And we're afraid. We're afraid to go into the land. Here, you know, Moses told them, God never wanted this life for you. He never designed this murmuring back and forth in this. That is not the wilderness experience that he wanted. God, he didn't, I didn't plan the wilderness for you. This is not the plan. You, you murmur about the manna, you murmur about the water, and, how, you know, and you remember the food that you had supposedly in Egypt. 
But you know something? I never planned that. I planned for you a land of milk and honey. I planned for you a land, a land where there was houses you didn't build, wells you didn't dig, olive beards and vineyards you didn't plant, where there's fields right into harvest, where you walked in and there's utensils on the table. I walked, planted a world for you of abundance, herds and flocks just to move right in. Right now, there's construction teams that, I've, that are there before you. You think they're enemies. You think they're Hittites, Hivites, Jebusites, Canaanites, all that? No, they're just, they're just preserving the land, building it, so you're not going into a barren land. That's all they are. But if you trust me, oh, they look huge to you, but if you trust me, I'll move them out as you move in. Every place that the sole of your foot treads upon, I will give it to you. If you'll go in and you'll have it, you'll experience this milk and honey, this wonderful life. It'll be there for you. To have that. And you know, here they just murmured all the time, we hate the wilderness, we hate this. Well, the, you know, the, the Bible tells us the journey from the borders of Egypt to the borders of Canaan was an 11-day journey. 11 days they could have done it in. They took 40 years. The U.S. Postal Service is better than that. <laughs> I mean, here when you, what is wrong with you? I mean, the Christian life, it's something there that what God has for you. And here, you know, but, but before they went in, they sent in some spies. You know the story. Twelve spies went in. Let's go check out the land, how we're going to take it, what we should do, what's our strategy. And the twelve of them come back. And they looked there, and the, the men that went up, they said that we can't, we're not able to go into the land. They're stronger than we are. And they brought an evil report to the land. They, say, they searched the children of Israel. In the land through which they had gone, they searched it, and they needed the inhabitants thereof. And we saw the people and the men. They were of great stature. And we saw the giants, the sons of Anak, and the, and, uh, which had come of the giants. And in our own sight, we were as grasshoppers. And here they looked, and 10 of the 12 came back with an evil report. They said, oh, yes, it's milk and honey. They came back bringing a bunch of the fruit of the land. They're just looking at all this. Look at the food. Look at the fruit of it. Look at all. They brought all that. They say, yeah, it's true. There is milk and honey. There's olive trees, vineyards. There's plants. There's, you know, there's houses we didn't build. There's wells we didn't. It's all there. It's all true. But there are giants in the land. And we are like grasshoppers before them. We can't. And, and, they, and, they, and, and 10 of the 12 said, we, we don't have, we, we, they'll kill us. Two of them, Joshua and Caleb, said, we saw the same thing, but we also saw the Lord, and the Lord said, I'll give it to you. Trust me. I will give it to you. Moses told the children of Israel in Deuteronomy 4, he says, and because he loved thy fathers, he brought thee out of Egypt with his mighty power to drive out nations before thee, greater and mightier than thou art, to give thee their land for an inheritance as it is this day. Moses said, listen, there's awesome contractors in there. Man, the stuff they've built and the cities that they built and all that, it's phenomenal. And yes, they're big and yes, they're strong. But he says, I have all, I've chosen this for you. And yes, they're greater and mightier than you, but they're nothing to me. And I will give it to you. Just trust me. I'll drive them out. I created the world. I can do stuff. I'm pretty handy with stuff like this. I'm pretty good at it. But here, next thing you know, after all of this, what they had experienced of the plagues and God brought them through and they opened the Red Sea and the enemy died and water comes out of rocks, manna comes out of heaven, quails comes out of the sky, the earth is opened and enemies are destroyed and armies are wiped out. And yet at the same time, after 40 years, you know, that God can't kill a giant. He can't kill a giant. You know, it's interesting when the children of Israel, later on when they finally went in, the next generation said, we can't stick this in. We're sick of this. We, we're going in. We're going to trust God. We're going to believe God. And then, so Joshua sends in a couple of spies into Jericho. And you know that story. They get in. And of all things, they run into a harlot named Rahab. And here, see, you know, next thing you know that they hear that the spies are, are in the land. And so you check it out, Jericho. And so they're looking all over for him. Rahab takes him and hides him up on a roof. And then they came and they said, have you seen the, you know, these spies? And she says, yes, yes, I have. They went on and points them in a wrong, another direction. But uh, if you go quick, you can probably catch them. So they go running off. Then she goes up and sits down with the spies before they go home. Joshua 2.9, she said unto the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land. 
and that your terror has fallen upon us and all the inhabitants of the land faint because of you. For we have heard on how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you. And when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites that were on the other side of Jordan, Shihon and Og, whom ye utterly destroyed. And as soon as we had heard these things, our hearts did melt. Neither did there remain any more courage in any man. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and earth beneath. She said, we know who you are. God is on your side. He destroys anything. There's not, nobody can conquer him. Everywhere you go, he goes with you and he destroys any and everything on your behalf and watches and leads you. We know who gave, we know who opened the Red Sea. We know who destroyed the enemies and we knew we were nothing. Neither did there remain any more courage in the heart of any man because of you. Where you been? Where you been, guys? I gotta ask you something. What is so wonderful about the wilderness that you decide to live your life there? There's nothing out there. It's barren. It's a desert. This is milk and honey. This is joy. This is fullness. This is blessing. This is wonderful provision, you know, for you. And yet at the same time, you have chosen to live there. And you know, the thing is, is that basically all of us, I would imagine, I don't know if, if you're here today and you don't know Christ, you need to. But I would imagine the majority of you do. And yet at the same time, every one of you, you still have giants. You have the testimony of God's provision. He's blessed. He's cared. He's brought you through the Red Sea. He's opened up heaven. He's quail have come out of the sky for you. Water has come out of rocks for you and past. Manna has come for heaven. He's, he's sustained you. And yet there is still, every one of us still have giants. We have somebody there ahead of us. Your giant, it might be your marriage. Oh God, you can open the Red Sea. You can get quail out of the sky. You can get man out of heaven. But Lord, this marriage, it's impossible. Oh, my children, God, this is, if you've seen my children, God, you should, oh, man, you may have created the world, but you haven't seen my kids. Oh, really? Or my job, or my health, or whatever it is that you're going through, my impatience, my lust, my covetousness, my frustration, my argumentative spirit, my life. God, you can't defeat that. And there's always this giant that causes us to harden our hearts, causes us to stay in the wilderness. And so many of us, that's where we live. And we just learn to adjust to that. That's, I, I'm a Christian. I know I'm going to heaven. And man, my life isn't very fruitful. Watch me during the week. You wouldn't see much different than the neighbor. But I've settled into it. And you know, one of the reasons as well for that is one of the things Moses told the children of Israel in the wilderness he says, you know, there's one thing that you do here that you won't do in the land when you get there. I told him twice. He says, every man that which is right in his own eyes. Right now, the reason you're in the wilderness is very simply, Moses said, because you're doing what is right in your own eyes. You know, it's funny. I've been married. It'll be 55 years in just a few months. And I got the most amazing wife here. And I do. And I, I, I know that. And we, we have not really fought a lot. We haven't really been fighters. I tried to get them going. My wife, she, <laughs> it takes two to get a good fight, and it hasn't worked. But I will tell you, one of the things, I mean, just to be confidential with it, in any fight we have ever had, every fight we have ever had, one thing about all of them that has been constant, I have been right. <laughs> I was. Why in the world get in a fight if you're wrong? No, I'm right. But the problem was is she had her opinion what was right too. I'd say, no, you're not right because I'm right. And your right is different than my right, therefore your right is wrong. And I'm the man, therefore I am more right. I'm bigger right, I'm stronger right. Now just be wrong and settle it. But I mean, there's your problem. All you need to have a fight is two people who are right. Two people and I that think they're right and they don't realize they're both wrong. We're both wrong. None of us are right until we say, Lord, what do you say is right? That's what I want. I want your right. I'm tired of my right. My right is ruined. My right is made. It gets frustrated. It gets lonely. It gets empty. I want what you want. You know, I mean, it's interesting. I mean, you know, what do you think about marriage? You don't, you know, marriage is very psychological. 
I'm psycho and she's logical. You know, I'm, <laughs> or else, no, I'm logical, she's psycho. I don't know, <laughs> it just changes all the time. But that's on how it, was. it is so often. One of us is righteous and right and the other is logical or whatever, and we realize no. Or we're wrong. What the thing is, when we do realize it's not psychological, it's spiritual. It's not thinking it through. It's seeking God's will. And here the Lord tells Moses, or actually it's in Moses, we'll look at that in a moment, but in verse 10, Hebrews 3, he says, Wherefore I was grieved with that generation. I was grieved with them. All I did for them, all they saw, like no generation in all of history, what they saw with their own eyes. I was grieved with that generation. I said, they do always err in their heart. They have not known my ways. Here, the children of Israel, they, they saw all of this. They never knew his ways. Psalm 103, 7 says that he made known his ways unto Moses and his acts unto the children of Israel. Big difference. The children of Israel, they knew, his, they knew the acts of God. They knew the plagues. They knew water came out of rocks. They knew God could make manna come out of it. All of them could write the book. All of them could. I was there. I witnessed. I saw it. It happened. I swear it on my life. Water went to turn to blood. Dust turned to life. Frogs came. The Red Sea was open. The enemy was destroyed. We walked through on dry land. Water came. Man, every one of them, chapter, chapter, another chapter. Another excited. They all knew his ways, his acts. But Moses knew his ways. Because you asked him, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait. You're telling me God did all of this? Yeah. Yeah, he did. Why do you suppose he did that? I don't know. You got me there. All I know is I was in Egypt and I needed to get out of there and I was sick and tired of it and the bondage was terrible and they told me this, there's, I was at a crusade and hundreds of people went forward and they said, here, you want out of bondage, you want out of hell, you want to go to heaven? Yes. I joined the group. What do I got to pray? What do I got to say? I'm in. And I, you know, and, and, and they could go through and, and they know all the right things, you know, they just, hey, we needed to get out of Egypt. You know, this guy opened up the Red Sea and we all walked through. I just followed with a group. We were all upset. We needed water. We needed manna. We needed quail. We needed this and that. And we would murmur, and we got it. We would be upset. Why is this? This is terrible. And somehow or another, it just came, and God did it. And already oh, God did it. Yes. Why do you suppose he did it? You know, I never thought a lot about that. I just know he did it. And all I got to do is murmur enough, and somehow or another... Things work out. And you know, there's a lot of people, they know the acts of God. There's a lot of people. I would imagine most of us, you know, they're just check some boxes. Do you believe God created the heavens? Just check that. Do you believe that, that God created man? Yes, check that. Do you believe man said yes? Do you believe Jesus said, forgave our sins and died on the cross? Yes. Do you believe he rose? Yes. Do you believe he's in heaven? Yes. Do you believe he, he presents his fault? Yes. Do you believe he's going to come for us? Do you believe he's going to conform us to it? Do you believe you're going, yes, yes, yes. Check them all. Check all the boxes, I believe, that you, you really, that's amazing. Why did he do that? Why did he do that? You know, when we look around, Moses was somebody, he, was, he, he saw this. He was right, he was as close as a human being could be. He didn't do any of it. He didn't do it. He didn't turn water to blood. He didn't turn dust to light. He didn't open anything. He just did what he was told. He stretched it out and God did I didn't know. I'm sure Moses, I have no idea how to open a Red Sea. None. I don't know how to get man out of heaven, quail out of nothing. I don't know any of it. All I do know is obedience. I just do what I'm told. And unbelievable things happen. And it's something there when, you know, Moses, you know, could you imagine coming to Moses and Moses, what would you like? What would you like today or with your life or anything? You know, whatever you, and Moses probably realized, hey, he's got a lot of stuff. And what in the world would I want from the God who has done all of this? And like, God said, well, let's see, would you like manna from No, I had that. Would you like quail? No, I've got that. Would you like me to open a river? No, I've been there, done that. You know, would you like enemies destroyed? Saw all that. 
you know, how about, you know, <laughs> you see the, you know, uh, the Ten Commandments and, and written in stone. Yeah, I saw that. I was right there. All of this. Couldn't be closer. But Moses, what would you like? Moses' greatest request, he says, I begged God. I beg you. Show me thy glory. Moses looked there and he said, I want to see the face of the one who did all this. That's what I want. Uh, the one who, who saved me, the one who brought me out of all these plagues, the one who brought me through the Red Sea, the one who gave, who fed me and clothed me and cared for me, that every time I have a meal, I realize this is from your hand. Everything you, you've got me through, got me through. I, I just want to see your face. I want to see your glory. Of course, the Lord, you know the story. He says, no, not now. You can't handle it. But I'll tell you what, I'm going to hide you in the cleft of the rock. I'm going to hide you there and I'll pass by and you can see the afterglow of my presence. And Moses, when he walked down from the mountain, his face shined with the glory of God. So much so as he put a veil over his face to cover it. That's what he had seen. He'd seen the one who did it. He'd experienced the shine. You know, but as he walked away from the mountain in the presence of God, the glory faded. But Paul tells us in the New Testament, in 2 Corinthians 3, he says, but all we with an unveiled face continuing to behold. We never, we, he, he's not off distance somewhere. Wherever I go, he goes with me. Continue to behold. I can see him anywhere, anytime. I can see him at home. I can see him at work. I can see him when I'm struggling. I can see him when the battles are there. I can see him when all of the plagues and all the difficulties and all the trials and all the hunger. And I can still behold his face. All we with an unveiled face continuing to behold, we reflect like mirrors the glory of the Lord. And are changed from glory to glory is by the Spirit of the Lord. When that's what I want. When that's what it is. And you know the amazing thing to me about us as Christians is I imagine if you had somebody in the world that you were a criminal, you were, you were a murderer, you're in, you, you know, you're, in, you're, you're on death row. But all of a sudden, somebody comes along and the bars open, the, the prison cell doors open up. They come with me. They come with, where are we going? Well, you're going out of jail. Here's a new outfit. Here's a new identity. Here's all this. Everything that you've done, it's blotted out. It's just completely forgiven. But God, I, I, was, I was a terrible person. Beside, forget it. It's all been paid for. Paid for, yes. Yes, somebody actually died in your place. What? Yes. But then it goes on, and, you, and then you're, now you're clothed in a new identity. You're clothed with a new world. And then he brings you out, and, and, and he cares for you day, and, and day in and day out. He helps you get a home. He helps you get a marriage. helps you get a family. helps you, you know, carry you through. Every time you're in trouble, somehow or another, somebody is there to bail you out, puts food on your table, takes care of you day in and day out. Bills get paid. Jobs happen. A whole new identity. If, if you had a benefactor like that, you know, you, know, you may say, well, somebody gives you something like this, and uh, then you find out not only you have a benefactor, you have somebody that one day you are a joint heir with him. Everything he has that this person that did all this for you, he's going to share it with you forever, eternally. Now, wait a minute, wait a minute. Come on, come on, come on, come on. Yeah. There's got to be a catch, obviously. There's a catch. Nobody does stuff like that without some catch. Yeah, there is a catch. Yeah, it is. And, uh, oh, I figured there was. What's the catch? Uh, he wants you to love him. Well, really, what else? There's got to be more. No, that's, he has everything else. He has everything in the world. He has the world. There's only one thing he doesn't have that he really seems to want awfully bad. It's you. It's you. And he, he'd like you to want to get to know him like he knows you. He'd like you to love him back the way he's loved you. He's like you to one day look around and realize, I can't believe this. And that's, that's, that's what it is. That's the story. That's, you know, you, you want to get out. 
You know, but so often, you know, if we want to, we can stay in the wilderness if we want. We can keep running our own lives if we want. We can keep on running our own marriage, our own family, and do what is right in our own eyes, all the rest of it. And you know, there, I believe there'll be massive, massive numbers of people crawling into heaven. Just like, you know, you're crawling in. Oh, man, life is so tough. Nobody knows the trouble I've seen. They come in as they're weak and empty and pathetic. The rest of in heaven conform to his image. What's wrong with you? Oh, you don't know. I can't even begin to tell you how tough life was. Oh, really? Did you ever see his glory? Did you ever know his indwelling power? Did you ever just stop doing what was right in your own eyes? Did you ever get sick of it? And saying, Lord, what will thou have me to do? I cannot conquer that giant. And I know it. But you can. And I love you. And I know you more and more. I want into the land. I want the house. I want the well. I want the plenty. Oh, it may never be physical. You may even you realize, oh, I don't need a, a physical house that's bigger and better. I don't need any of this stuff. I don't need a clothes, an outfit like Mildred down the street has. You know, I don't need a job, you know, like Benny over there has. You know, there. I need the life that only you have to fill me. That's what he wants today. Amen. Lord, we thank you for your love. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness to us. And Lord, we just pray that today that each one of us would just be able to look at you and say, Lord, we want your life. Well, that's all we want, Lord. You don't have to change anything. Lord, that we don't have to have anything else other than you. Lord, to fulfill the first and the greatest commandment, the biggest thing on your heart, the thing that means the most to you, that thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all of your heart, your mind, your soul, your strength, that you look at us today and you say, all I want is you to love me like I love you. And we get that. What marriage doesn't want that? What is where people look at each other? What do I really want? I, we fell in love with each other when we didn't have two nickels to rub together. And Lord, sometimes we forget. And Lord, that the real thing that made us and brought us together was love. And you look at all I want from you. I don't need anything from you, you would say to us. I have everything for you. But you have something as big to me as the world. You have a choice to do what you want to with your heart. You can love me like I love you. And Lord, today we just pray that you'd help each one of us to love you more and more and realize the cost of it is loving ourselves less and less. And Lord, following you and choosing not to do what is right in our own eyes, but say, Lord, what is right in your eyes. Help us strengthen us, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.